You're listening to another hope-filled podcast from Life. For more information about our church, visit lifenz.org. Great to have you all here this morning. And uh, it's my privilege to speak this morning. And we're going to have fun. And uh, we're going to have a look at this wonderful theme of overcoming. And um, this is our theme. Pastor Paul very you know, wisely has a, a particular theme every year overarching for the church. And this year he felt that it's a year for us to be overcoming. And every single one of us is made in the image and likeness of God. And our original mandate in the Garden of Eden was to be fruitful, have lots of kids. Amen. Amen, amen. You know, have lots of, be fruitful, multiply, you know, and God said, um, subdue the enemies and have dominion, which boiled down means to overcome stuff. And, um, you know, I don't know what you think. Sometimes people, you know, look at pastors and you think, oh, you guys are just probably born with a silver spoon in, in your mouth. But, you know, it doesn't matter who you are. Life is tough. And I'm going to talk about some of the stuff that I've had to overcome and I've had a blessed life and I've got a wonderful wife and I've got wonderful kids and so much that I'm grateful for. But no one's life is without struggles. And the message of overcoming is for everybody, no matter what color, no matter what age, no matter what your creed, where you come from. Life is tough. Just living in this life. You know, we've got an enemy that's against us, the world system that is hostile. We've got our flesh that wants to pull us away from the people and presence of God. Life is tough period. And, you know, and so the Bible talks, and I'm going to get this verse uh, put up on the screen here. It says in the book of John, it says, uh, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Just by way of a visual illustration this morning, uh, I'm going to ask my good uh, uh, colleague and uh, friend, ministerial friend, brother Neil Carter, uh, to bring up a couple of little visual aids this morning. Some of you know I have an altar persona as Kettle Cam, and uh, I love kettlebells, and uh, I've always been a fitness guy. When I was at school, I played rugby, tennis, golf, all sorts of sports like many of us did. I went on to... um, Uh, be very committed in the sport of triathlons. That was my main sport, so swimming, cycling, running. In my latter years, I've done lots of endurance cycling around Taupo. I've done marathons, ultra marathons. A couple of years ago, I was was getting very fast, but I was getting very skinny, and I wanted to get into some strength-based training. And BRAD, actually, uh, introduced me to the wonderful little apparatuses called kettlebells. And uh, hence, Kettle Cam was born, and I fell in love with these little things. And... I found this in life, that life is, is tough. And about 10 years ago, my wife and I left a particular church that we were with in a particular movement. Had some real challenges there, and uh, it didn't really end very, very nicely. It was a very difficult time for us, and we got on board uh, with, with life here. And we got involved, and we were serving. And in my previous church, you know, I was the pastor. I was the senior pastor. If I was to as, as much as pick up a chair and stack a chair, people go, oh, Pastor Cam, no, 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 you don't need to do that. We'll do that for you. If I was to pick up a broom after church and sweep around the hall that we we're hiring, oh, no, no, Pastor Cam, don't do that. And, you know, we were privileged and we had a very wonderful church down in Wellington and we were well looked after. And we got on board here at staff uh, at, at Life and, you know, at life, uh, certain times of the year, like our sister's conference, life conference, it literally is all hands on deck. And we have a big staff and all of our interns and a lot of volunteers. And what we put on last week at the Vodafone Event Center 
with you know, a couple of thousand people down there and 600 youth and about 500 kids you know, jammed in here to our kids' conference. It was a logistical, organizational behemoth to organize. And every single one of us was involved. During the week, we're carrying all out the couches and musical equipment and speakers and we're, you know, we're putting up drapes and every single one of us is all hands on deck. And, you know, I got saved, and um, very quickly, God started doing a lot of stuff in my life. One of the uh, first things that God really spoke to me about, uh, it didn't occur to me initially. I was just, my language was, you know, well, that's blank, blankety, blank, blank this, and blank, blankety, blank, blank that. How many know what I'm talking about? That sort of language is very common today. And as a 16-year-old non-Christian kid, that was just my language. Funny, I never spoke like that around my parents or around my grandparents, but around my kids at school, it was just, you know, that was the superlatives and the adjectives I used to describe. It wasn't just a good bike ride. It was the blankety-blank good bike ride. And very early on in my Christian life, I felt the Lord, you know, uh, impressed this verse upon me. It says, Campbell, let, let no unwholesome communication proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for edification, that it might impart grace to the hearers. And God really convicted me about my profane language, my unclean, my vulgar language, and uh, God really, and so man, I really, I asked the Lord to forgive me, and um, I fell in love with God, and my life just kept, kept going up, and the next thing was, I used to listen to a lot of heavy metal music, and uh, back in the day, it was ACDC, Motorhead, Iron Maiden, and, um, and as I, I love the drums, and just the, the band, and Angus Young on the lead guitar, and I was, I, I do like the music. But I started listening to the lyrics and the spirit. And every time I listened to it, I could feel it pulling me away from the people and the presence and the place of God. And um, my dad asked me one day, he said, Cam, what's your favorite uh, music band? I said, oh, ACDC. He said, oh, okay. Uh, and my dad was a non-Christian and he had a non-Christian friend with him. And he said, what's your favorite um, album there? And I said, oh, probably Hell's Bells. He said, oh, what's your favorite song on that? I said, oh, probably the lead song, you know, Hell's Bells. And I started reciting the lyrics to him. And as I was saying it, I'm thinking, wow, uh, th this is not good. And I started actually listening to the lyrics. And God really convicted me about that. And I remember taking all of those albums down to the backyard where I lived in One Tree Hill at the time, a big incinerator. And I remember ripping up those, you know, the, the Iron Maiden, Motorhead, all that sort of stuff, you know, Motley Crue, Twisted Sister, whatever it was. And I remember burning it and the uh, records, LP, they wouldn't uh, burn. I had to break those with an axe. But it was a symbolic act of I'm out with the old and then I started filling my life with Christian music and I remember coming home and I just lie and I finished my carpentry apprenticeship. I just come home and just lie on the floor and just let beautiful Christian music just wash over me and, and the psalmist says, he has put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many will hear it and fear and put their trust in the Lord. And, um, and changing the sort of music I listened to was huge you know, thing I overcame and my life continued to go up and, and I was a, a nasty individual really as a non-Christian. I would look at people, I'd try and find what I saw as some physical defect or some weakness and I'd just mock you about it and I'd be sarcastic and I used to have kids go home from school in tears and it's funny, I believe God called me to speak his word but it's amazing how the devil now had my mouth and my mouth was being used to bring people down instead of edifying people and and, and, and that changed. And the next thing God said, Campbell, you know there's magazines that you hide under your bed and you, you know, read when no one else is around. Oh, Lord, not those. Oh, I like those. He said, no, no, Campbell, they've got to go. And so I did another trip down to the incinerator and all those magazines were being ripped up and, and burnt. And there were like these 
physical symbolic acts of out with the old, and I was overcoming, and it just felt good to overcome stuff. When you actually break an old habit and a sinful pattern and you start to live, you feel good. But then I found in life sometimes, and this was back in 2010, Coral and I had been on staff at Life for a couple of years, and we were serving, and we were running our you know, campus out there. It wasn't a campus. It was an extension center. We used to meet in the Botany um, High School Hall, and you know, and we had a particular role. I was teaching at the college, but I just felt, Lord, this is, I've just, I'm, I feel like I was in a restricted place, and some of the, the, the giftings that I have weren't being utilized, and you submit it to God, and you pray, and the years go by, and, and suddenly you're carrying couches, and you're just setting up drapes, and you're doing physical stuff, and you're just feeling like, God, this actually hurts, and there's, there's more in me, and how many have felt like you're in a confined place? And God's got a prophetic promise over your life, and you just feel like it's a million miles away. And as the years went by, I remember one particular conference. I was on the um, sort of security, sort of um, welcome um, car parking team, and we're out there with the guys, the brothers who got the high-vis jackets on and the wands, and we're out at our old Montgomery Road venue, and we were helping uh, people, some of the um, Pastor Paul and Marie's guests and pastors who were coming, where to park, and then sending them up to the, to the guest lounge. And, you know, it's all sort of good, and you're there, and, okay, Lord, I'm doing this for you. And, and, and suddenly I see one of my old pastor friends drive up, this beautiful-looking wife in a real nice car, and I'm sort of there with my high-vis jacket on. And, and inside I'm like, oh, oh, awkward. Um, oh, just, yeah. I'm like, hey, man, how are you doing? He's like, oh, Cam, is that you? I'm like, yeah, it's me. He's like, oh, Pastor Cam, what are you doing out here with you? And I'm like, oh, dude, it's all good. We're just, um, man, it's all hands on deck around here. Conference time, eh? We're still all our hands to the plow, so it's all good. And he's like, oh, good. I'll see you up in the um, guest lounge later on. And I'm like, you'd be lucky. <laughs> you know, and, and he walked off and I just thought, oh, man, they're the really important people. And I'm just standing here parking cars. And rightly or wrongly, I just felt like I had a big L on my forehead. How many ever felt like a bit of a loser? Now, I knew in my heart I'm not a loser and all that, and I wasn't depressed and I wasn't suicidal, but I just felt like, oh, this is just, oh, God, why is this so hard? And then someone else, oh, God, oh not him. And he pulls up with his entourage and, hey, Cam, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, dude, it's all good, age, It's all hands on deck, hey, conference time, man. We just muck in and do what we've got to do around here. It's all good, bro. VIP, just go up there and get your coffee and get your lanyards and get ready for conference. And, you know, Casey Treadon's going to be awesome. And, and I walk up and I'm like, oh, God, this is just hard. It's really hard. And then um, some intern says, oh, Pastor, you Cam, can you help me? You know, just some young intern. I Cam, can you come here help me carry this barbecue? Oh, yeah, whatever. <laughs> Carrying some barbecue along. And another pastor friend calls out from the, you know, the, the guest lounge. Hey, Cam, is that you down there? I'm like, oh, yeah, it is, bro. Yes, yeah, it's me. It's, uh, yeah, yeah, Cam. And he said, what are you doing? I said, oh, just help me carry this barbecue around the back there, doing some sausages for the interns or the volunteers or something. He said, oh, good on you, Cam. Um, pop up and say good day later. I'm like, you'll be lucky. <laughs> you know, and I actually went away. I'm God, this actually hurts. I just feel like, Lord, I'm in a restricted place. I feel you've shown me this stuff. And I'm just, what am I doing? I'm 44 years old now. I'm carrying barbecues. I've got a wand in my hand. What do I do with this? I've got a high-vis jacket. Lord, I just feel like an egg. Now you're laughing, but I wasn't laughing. It actually really hurt me. And I remember going home that night and, um, you know, over the years, I've had times when you just feel like in life, no matter how much you pray, no matter how much you trust God, there are just some things that just don't change. Can I hear an amen? 
Now, other things, God broke off my life real quick, but I'm just feeling like, God, this is hard, and I'm driving to work. I'm in peak hour traffic going through tip-top corner. It's the middle of winter. It's dark. It's gloomy. And I'm thinking, God, oh, God, I just don't see any future. I feel like I'm just restricted. I feel like whatever I do, I can't succeed here. I'm trying, but our center out east isn't growing, and I'm trying to look after some connect groups and being a good regional pastor. And Lord, I thank you for my beautiful wife, and I've got amazing kids, and I'm grateful for all that, and the house we live in, and the car I drive, but God, this is hard, and in my heart, I felt like, God, I just want to die. I just want to, I want to be in your presence. I want this to stop. This is just hard, and I'm, I went out for a walk after that conference night, and I'm just having a bit of a catharsis. I'm saying, God, this actually hurts. Like, I don't know whether you know it hurts, but it actually hurts. I don't know whether you care. I feel like you think it's a joke because you're God, you can do anything, and I'm actually hurting, and you don't, it's, it's, it's not changing. God, where are you? And praise God for the word of God, but a beautiful passage from Exodus 3 flooded into my mind, and it says this, Now Moses led the flock of Jethro, his father, to the back of the desert, and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And I thought Moses was in a dry place. Moses was in a confined place. Moses was in a hard place. Moses was looking after sheep. They weren't even his sheep. They were Jethro's sheep. Moses was in a difficult place. And I just felt like God said, Cam, I know where you're at. I'm like, oh, God, you do, you do know where I'm at. And I felt God say, yeah, Cam, I understand. And I said, oh, so you do understand how I feel. And I felt God say, yeah, Cam, I know. I know this is difficult, but you've got to go through it. It's like, oh, so, so, Lord, so you're all right knowing that I feel like an egg and I feel like a loser. God was like, yeah, it's all right. It's not the worst thing that can happen to you, Cam. You know? <laughs> and, and as soon as I said, oh, and, and you're happy and, and you, you've put me here like you're a big God, sovereign in control, and you're happy I'm here. And God said, yeah, it's all good, Cam. It's all part of the process. I'm like, no way. And everything, when my perspective changed and I understood how God felt and that God knew that God was watching, and I felt, say, God say, Campbell, just be faithful with the flock. Be faithful with the people I've asked you to lead. Be a faithful husband. Be a faithful dad. You know, be a faithful part and just do what I put before you. And I'm like, oh Lord, I can do that. I mean, I can't change the world, but I, but I can do what you've got. And suddenly I'm like, awesome. This is fantastic. And you know, the next night I'm out there and where's my man, Danny Williams? Where's my man over here? Uh, we, were on, we were on security that night. We were out there parking cars. And I'd be like, Danny was over here. He'd become my new best friend. I'd be like, caca. What did Danny say? <laughs> I'm like, we were out there and we were like, ladies and gentlemen, honey, my, honey, my, welcome to Life Conference. You're in for a treat tonight because we've got Pastor Casey Treat from Seattle, Washington. And we were having the time of our life and I was so happy and so enjoying it. I thought, I don't have to worry about the budget and the conference and speaking. I can just be out here with my high-vis jacket rolling, all my friends coming in. Where's my South Africans at? Where's my Rarotongans at? Where's my Tongata Whenua at? You know? And I'm just having the time of my life and I overcame something because I saw things from God's perspective. But during those years, when things were challenging and I didn't feel like I was overcoming, I used to love to come home and go for a run and think, man, I can't change this and this, but I can conquer that hill. I can conquer that half marathon course. I can conquer that marathon. I can ride my bike right around Lake Taupo or right around the Coromandel Ranges. And then a few years ago, I got into kettlebells and 
I started to uh, enjoy just the physicality of just conquering a piece of iron. And the humbling thing was when I started, I have to start with this little one here. Now, I don't know if you notice what color is on there, but it's not a very masculine color. And there are a bunch of lifts that I had to start with this little bell with pink on it. And in my world, pink's for girls, rightly or wrongly. Anyway, I don't want to offend you, but you know what I mean? And there were certain lifts that I could only do with this eight kilogram kettlebell. Very early on, I went out and I brought a 16 kilogram one and I brought a 40 kilogram one. And some people on staff said to Coral, why has Campbell brought a 40 kilogram kettlebell? He'll hardly be able to lift it off the ground. And when I heard that, I thought, you'll see, you'll see. (laughs) And there's something about a guy, we just want to conquer stuff and dominate stuff. We might not be able to change that, but if you can come home and get some wins and you can conquer a hill or walk up Mangari Mountain or do some little things incrementally, it just makes you feel good. And so I started to swing this kettlebell, and I thought, well, that's a bit embarrassing, really working with a girl's kettlebell, but I'm going to swing this, and I just started to snatch it, and I just started to do my windmills with it, and suddenly that became so light, and I'm just like, shh, oh, you're lightweight, baby, out with you, onto the 12 kilogram. Boom, we're dominating the 12, out with you, baby, onto the 16. We're smashing you, ooh, and it just felt good to be winning. I felt like Rocky. (laughs) And then I was on to the 20, and I had a vision that one day I'd get the 40-kilogram kettlebell above my head, and that happened about a, a year ago. And then I brought this. This is known in the kettlebell world as the beast, 48 kilograms. And I tell you, she's a big boy. And uh, you come and have a wee pat of her. She's known as the beast because she's beastly. And I had a vision that I was going to get that thing above my head in a, in a number of different ways and, and movements, when I first got it and I lay down with it in the move called the Turkish get up and I held my arm up there, everything in my wrist was almost being pulled back. I felt like my scapula and my collarbone was going to break and there was something in my mind saying, you will never, ever lift me. And I said to Brogan, Brogan, first time you squatted 300 kgs, did you think you'd ever do it? And he was like, man, he said, the thought of 300 kgs, it would just about kill the average person. But there's something about it, something about your body's ability to physiologically adapt to stress and to get stronger. And I love the fact that you can start like you can conquer that, you can conquer that, you can conquer that. And when you start winning, it just feels good. And um, last Friday morning, I went out into our backyard and I got this uh, kettlebell down and I lay down and I put it above my head and it's a move called the Turkish get up. And I got halfway, I got to this point here, and I was like this, and this is my weak point, and I'm like bracing my core. Ah, I got up, and it just started pulling me over, and I dropped it into the ground and made a great big crater in our back, back grass. And I thought, I'm missing 2%. I need to brace my core. I need to get tension right through my body. I need the right music. And I don't normally listen to this, but I pulled up on YouTube some ACDC TNT. <laughs> And I got the music, yeah, I'm TNT, I'm dynamite, boom, TNT, watch me explode. And right there, when they said, watch me explode, I'm like, brace, core, tight, ah, ah. And I'm like, yeah, (laughs) I got it. And I tell you, there is so much more potential in you. You might have things in your life, you think, man, I just can't overcome. But I tell you what, 
you know, you, you might think oh, I'm embarrassed to tell people where I started. I was embarrassed that I had to start with that, and now that's nothing, you know. It's amazing how physically you can adapt. Now, listen, God is not impressed with how much weight you can put above your head. In this verse, it says up here, whatever is born of God overcomes the world. Most of us here at home have got clothes made by a particular leading world sports brand called Nike. Nike is one of the greatest sports brands in the world. It's interesting that the Greek word Nike, and if we can bring the next slide up, comes from uh, Greek word Nikeo, and it means to conquer, to come off victorious, to subdue literally or fig figuratively, to overcome, and to prevail. Some of the greatest sponsored athletes ever have been sponsored by Nike. And I'm thinking of one particular golfer, an African-American man. Many of you know him, one of the greatest golfers of all time, winning U.S. majors, winning the British Open, uh, just cleaning up around the world. But a number of years ago, his life fell apart because of a moral scandal, because of a whole bunch of stuff that he was involved with, and he's never got back to that level since. While this man was overcoming a golf course and a golf ball, he was failing morally. Another man, a South African runner known as the Blade Runner, was winning Olympic gold medals as a para-Olympian, you know, uh, but eventually had some major moral failures in his life and right now is in prison. Another uh, well-known cyclist who won the Tour de France seven times was the greatest cyclist the world had ever seen, won the Tour de France seven times, but eventually came out, he was a part of the most systematic, organized doping you know, regime ever in the world of cycling, they say in the sporting world. So while it's possible to be overcoming stuff physically, what God is more in, interested in is overcoming stuff in our heart. And God's not impressed if you get a 48 kilogram, you know, cannonball above your head. That's, we might be, blokes might go, oh, that's strong. But God's not impressed with that. But I personally just like doing stuff because it makes you feel good. Amen? <laughs> the Bible says here, for we know that whatever is born of God overcomes the world. If we can just bring that scripture up. What I want to talk about here is the thing that God wants every single one of us where we must overcome is what the Bible says, the world. And as Christians, we really have three enemies. We've got the devil. Can someone say amen? He's a very real spiritual being that hates your guts and is planning and devising a way to take your life down, studying your strengths, studying your weaknesses, looking at the generations that got it before you, and he is making a plan to take you down. Then there is what we call the flesh, our human propensity that just wants to pull us away from God. And then there is what we call the world system. And I was driving in the car with my son Ezra the other day, and I said, Ezra, what do you think the Bible means when it says, do not love the world? He said, oh, that's a good question, Dad. He says, um, maybe you're like, we shouldn't love things like trees. And uh, I said, no, it's, it's fine to love nature and creation. Now, we don't worship, you know, the forest and the sea and those sort of things. We worship the God of creation. God wants us to enjoy, you know, his paradise. But I said, Ezra, when Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden, there was only one earth, and originally there was only one world of consciousness. And that world of consciousness was God is my Father. We are to love God, be in relationship with Him, enjoy Him, walk with Him in the Garden of Eden, and rule and reign over all creation. That was their only perspective in life until 
the serpent came along and says, hey, really, you don't need to submit to a God. You are divine. God is within you. I sat with a cousin of mine last night at a family wedding that we're a part of, and my 50-year-old cousin, who's a non-Christian, says to me, Campbell, when you pray, you're not really praying to a God. You're really just praying to yourself. You are divine. And obviously, she's not a Christian, and she's involved in the New Age movement. And I said, look, I said, God actually is within me. He came into my life 30 years ago. And I said, that's the difference. I said, you would, you'd be what we describe as a, as a humanist. You believe only in yourself. And I said, our cell phones are only good as long as they are connected to a source. And I said, we are made as dependent beings to be connected and dependent upon God. And um, so we, you know, had a discussion around that, and it was all, it was all you know, it was all, it was all good. Um, but this is what the Bible says, whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And I want to pull up a, a little, um, a little uh, image here, something I read uh, a little while ago in a book I was reading. This is what I would consider a worldly or a non-Christian perspective in life. So here is a non-Christian person, and when they look out, the first thing they see, the most important thing in their world, is me, myself, and I. What I want, what I think, what I feel, it's all about self-importance, selfishness, and self-centeredness. In other words, in that you know, image, Campbell Bond is supreme. He is God. He is the most important thing. He is on the throne. And then, you know, beyond that, oh, well, maybe I have to take my kid to a tennis lesson and I have to do some things and work and help other people occasionally. But it's really all about me. And then hardly, if ever, God is just way off there in the distance and, oh, maybe I'll make my peace with God when I'm old and I've lived my life. God doesn't even factor in their life. That is a worldly perspective in life. If we can pull up the next slide. This is what we would call a Christian or the true intelligent perspective in life. When I get up in the morning, I have to be aware of myself. I take myself, you know, and get myself a cup of coffee, have some Vogel's toast or whatever. Got to look after myself. But life isn't all about me. Life is about others. Amen? And ultimately, my ultimate vision in life is the glory of God. Lord, I live to make you happy. I live to put a smile on your face. I want to glorify your name. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That is my vision, the great commandment, to love God and to love people. That is my consuming passion. That is a Christian perspective. So when John says, whatever is born of God overcomes the world, if I had time to go through the scriptures, I could tell you that a worldly mentality is effectively this. It's selfishness. It's lust. It's what I want. And if I want it, I will get it, and I will use you, and I will take from you to gratify myself, whereas love is the opposite. Love is about I will gratify you at my own expense, whereas lust is all about I want to gratify myself at your expense. And the problem with humanity is that we rejected God and self became on the throne. And when the Bible uses the term world, it's talking about that false paradigm of a me first, independent, selfish, I do what I want, I'm my own God, I'll live my own way. It's secular humanism. And John says this, for we know that whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And he's very uh, emphatic. It's like where Jesus said, you cannot love God and money. He's like, it, it, you can't, you might think you can, but he said, I'm telling you, you cannot. 
You cannot serve two masters. There must be a digital shift to say, God, I'm shifting my life away from my own importance and my own dreams and everything I want, me, 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 me. Jesus is actually not about me. It's not my will, but thy will be done. Jesus, take the keys, get on the throne, and I live to glorify you. Amen? So when we talk about overcoming, this is really what the Bible wants us to overcome, the whole thing of the importance of self and life being all about you. My friend, life is not all about you. We live for the glory of God. The Westminster Constitution says, what is the supreme duty of man? And the response is this, man exists to glorify God and listen, and to enjoy him forever. And to overcome this worldly mentality I just want to encourage you to fall in love with God and make your relationship with God your greatest relational priority in life. More than your spouse, more than your kids. The best thing I can give to Coral is me being passionately in love with God, connecting relationally with God, talking to God as I drive down the motorway, turning the radio off, connecting with God, you know, and the more I'm connected with God, it's amazing how I feel like, oh man, I'm up praying. God, you're so good. Thank you for my wife. I feel like making her some scrambled eggs this morning. I tell you, when I'm connected with God, God just drops that love, that aroha into my heart. Amen? I know. Where's the worldly person? Hey, why don't you make my eggs? <laughs> you know? <laughs> You know, because it's all about me, but when you're filled with God, suddenly you want to be loving, for God so loved the world that He gave, and God flows through us to be a blessing to others. So can you see what God wants us to overcome? And my friend, every single one of us, if we are born of God, that's what it means to be a Christian, to overcome that wrong perspective in life. And I just want to encourage you this morning. The other thing I would say, fall in love with God, and can I just encourage you with this? fall in love with the people of God and the house of God. As a pastor, the longer I live, the more I see those families that are involved, that are regular, that are in church, that are just serving and just involved and make this home your home away from home. Amen? I'm so blessed as a dad to have kids who love this house. But that doesn't happen accidentally. They love this house because we love this house and they hear us talking passionately about this house we enjoy this place. Now, we have passed on that to our kids. They love this place. They love God. They love their mom. They love their dad. They love each other. And, you know, there's a difference between some Christians who love God, but if you've, they've always got like an issue with church and you're, stand, you, you're always standing back and you don't really want to get, I tell you, the best and the safest place to be, man, get on board. Become part of the whānau here. Roll up your sleeves. Get here early. Get to know people. Get in a connect group. Come and have a braai with us, you know. <laughs> get, around the, get around the hot coals and do life because I can tell you where you're going to be in five years' time just by looking at the sort of people you hang out with. You might say, no, nah, no, nah, I'm strong, I'm strong, I'm strong. The Bible says, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good character. I want my best friends and my best friends are people that love God and love church. And every time I'm around them, there's an influence that comes off them that just motivates and inspires and lifts me. But if every time I'm around people and they're talking, you know, just sort of secular humanism and, oh, you don't need to be in church and you don't need that and why do you need to give and why do you need to be involved? That's a drain and it's pulling me down. 
So what does it mean to overcome the world? It means to be in love with God and in love with the people of God. And John says, whatever is born of God, my friend, you'll get the victory. You'll overcome the world. And it is so good to win and to conquer. And sometimes when life isn't working, it's good just to conquer something physically and start to dominate it. But more importantly, it's getting spiritual victory over the real enemy out there, the world, the flesh, and the devil. So I don't care what people have said to you. Maybe you've had bad family, friends that have said negative stuff. My friend, let me tell you, you are an overcomer. You are made to overcome. God is with you. And if you will allow God into the deepest part of your life, God will help you to overcome in every single areas of your life. And things that you never thought, I never ever thought I would get that. When people said I would get that above my head, I laughed. I thought it would break my clavicle. It would break my scapula. But now I can get that bell above my head in a few different moves. And it just feels good to conquer stuff. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this podcast from Life. If you have questions or want to contact someone about this message, visit lifenz.org.